Radio TRO is in search of sponsors. Sponsors get a detailed product mention at the beginning of every episode in our catalog. You can submit your own advertisement or we can read one for you. Visit email.tro.bike and contact us directly to learn more. Hey folks, Maggie Dean here, just reaching out to tell you about a couple of great tours we have coming up. One is for the newbies and the other for the seasoned curve carvers. If you're new to motorcycle touring, check out the LMCT, Lake Michigan Circle Tour, which takes place from Sunday, July 14th to Saturday, July 20th. It's a beginner-friendly scenic bike tour around Lake Michigan with all the planning and organizing done for you. It's ideal for couples, three-wheel riders, and small groups. It offers a balanced mix of fun curves, beautiful scenery, and rest stops. If you've always wanted to go on a small group motorcycle tour but have yet to do so, this tour is for you. And for all you rabid twisty travelers, check out TRO's Wisco Disco Tour. Based in Wisconsin, this tour is perfect for experienced riders visiting as much of the Driftless area as possible over three days. Our well-vetted routes are pre-planned, so just take the time off and join us. It's a great opportunity to ride in an intimate setting away from the solo digital world. Tiro's Wisco Disco Tour launches Wednesday, August 7th, and concludes Sunday, August 11th. Again, that's two tours approaching. Visit tiro.bike, mouse over events, and select group tours to learn more. Hello, everybody. This is Travis Burleson. I'm Robin Dean. And this is the RidingObsession.com podcast. Oh, Robin, how's your month been going? Uh, good question. Uh, <laughs> honestly, there's so much to tell since the last time we did this, and I can't think of a good place to start. Uh, heck, we still have writing to do about topics from mid-season, like the Ozarks and Florida, etc. Uh, my wife's 675 Street Triple, that's kind of new to us. I'm still slowly winterizing and repairing or updating our flock. A bandit needs a bit of special attention as she's just hit the 50K mark. 47,000 of those miles belong to yours truly. And uh, the Hawk GT has taken its, what, 15th fall again, so... <laughs> this time it was, what, run over by someone? It was run over by a friend who felt awful for having done so. Uh, so I'm ordering parts and upgrading bits and features. Uh, one of which is a GPS speedometer with a built-in tachometer that I designed myself over at uh, speedhut.com. So if you go to speedhut.com, they've got a whole bunch of different gauges where you get to pick your own font and backlit setup and uh, whether it's light or dark dial setup and all that stuff, it's really pretty cool. So I got that on the way and I can't wait to see it. I gotta figure out how I'm gonna mount it. Um, but the truth is that I love both of my go-to bikes. But there's a part of me that's at kind of a crossroads. Do I keep what I have and get the B12 to 100,000 miles just so I can say I did? Or do I trade it and the GT in for something newer? You know, I still have sort of a crush on the not-so-new Suzuki GSX FA 1250. And then Matthew Thrunover at Woodstock Triumph and KTM here in Illinois. He uh, totally messed with my brain showing me this uber-sexy Super Duke GT 1290. And... I don't know. It's like the cross between those two bikes. I don't know what I want to do. 
Yeah, I remember when the uh, the I guess teaser videos came out for the Duke twelve ninety, and it was basically just ninety seconds of a guy doing burnouts in an airfield. <laughs> you remember that? You remember that video that came out? It was like it was like he was in a hangar. It was a hangar, and it was backlit, and then he just starts doing burning rubber, and then the smoke billows and billows, and then you just see this motorcycle shoot out of this cloud of tire smoke. Yeah, it was a lot of slow mo. Yeah. And a lot of only being on one wheel. If the, if the if there was two wheels on the ground, the back one was smoking. And if there if the back one wasn't smoking, then there was only one wheel on the ground. It's kind well, of have you seen a photo of the GT? Yeah, it's got a bigger fairing and gas tank and luggage and a windscreen and yeah, a fully adjustable windscreen where you you sort of grab the top of it and you can just pull it to the position you want it while you're riding. Built-in heated grips, everything's you know KTM grade. Yeah, and how much does it cost? It's a mere, do you want euros, pounds? Um, <laughs> it's $20,000, $20,000. So if if I go that route, I'm going to have a lot of explaining to do to anybody who's ever written for the site as to how much the site has made. <laughs> but yeah, anyhow, what about you, man? How was, how's your month, week, month, tw- past 10 years? How's your decade been? Oh, it's uh, yeah, it's been good. So back in 2006... <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's been good. You know, the holidays have uh well I guess New Year's is still coming and uh Christmas came and went and the in laws came up and then the last morning they were here after Christmas our furnace quit on us, which is always good when you're in Wisconsin in December. Um luckily we we've just been blowing uh the um the fireplace on full blast and running some fans and space heaters and then um I got a guy out to look at it, and he didn't have parts for this 20-year-old furnace. Um, but when he came and looked at it, he showed me how to get to all the parts on it. And so I, I, when he left, I went in and took my furnace apart and found a fried circuit board and then went online and bought one and had it overnighted and put it in, and now it works fine. So go for DIY, fix my own furnace. What was the difference in price? Oh, uh, so the circuit board was $75, but it was 30 bucks to overnight it because, you know, overnight shipping. Um, a new furnace would have been $2,800. $2,800. I called another company just to see, because this guy just came out and looked at it for free and then said he'd sell me a, a furnace. Um, I called another company. They wanted 100 bucks just to come out. Right. What else? Um, yeah, nothing much. I mean, I've kind of been neglecting the bike so far. I kind of, I put them up for the winter and um, I do want to at some point do a valve check on the DRZ since I don't know. So I kind of love to hate that bike. It's just such a, just such a, a bulletproof beater of a, of a dirt bike. I just don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. I, like I rode it for like three months before I changed the oil on it after I bought it. Like I didn't change the oil when I bought it. I just, the guy said he put new oil in and the oil looked pretty, pretty new. So I was like, Oh, well, whatever. I'll go ride all this stuff on it. And then I'll change the oil before winter. That bike's pretty much designed to get spanked, though, am I right? Yeah, so it's, um, but I want to take it apart and check the valves on it and just kind of get into it a little bit and, and see if there's anything too much out of place. I kind of want to see what jetting is in it, too, because it, it does have an aftermarket pipe and the common airbox mod. Um, the DRZ is the, the 3x3 mod. You look on any forum, it's the common practice to cut a hole in the airbox to let it breathe better. So um, I don't know what kind of jetting was put in the carburetor after those things were done. So I'll have to look at that. Um, and then I kind of want to do a DIY uh, paint job on the tank of the, the big one, my 94 CB1000. Um, just because it, you know, it's all haze. Well, you've seen it. It's all haze and peeled and cracked on the, on the tank. It's a lovely haze and peel. 
Well, which is why I like it because I don't have to care about scratches or anything. Um, but I thought maybe if I can try my hand at doing a DIY, just kind of, you know, a, a good rattle can job of it, you know, sand it down nice, prime it, paint it, sand it, clear coat it, sand it, clear coat it kind of deal. Yeah, um, and misting, misting. It's all about that floaty cloud of paint. Yeah, like light, light coats. Well, I could just plastic dip it or hit it with bed liner if I feel like going, going that route. Uh, um, and if I feel, um, if I want to sell it, then it'll be better if it looks a little bit prettier. Um, I was also thinking about redoing the seat on it, maybe. I did uh, buy a, a lambskin, uh, like the lamb's wall seat cover. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I took an old, uh, sleeping, camping sleeping mat I had, that's the closed cell foam and cut it up into layers and kind of shaped it. And I just stuck it on top of the existing seat and then put the lambs <laughs> over top of that. Um, which actually seems, seems to good. I only rode it once before the snow came. So, um, but we'll see, I might, uh, actually rip the vinyl off the seat and kind of glue that foam in and sculpt it out a little bit more and recover the seat. Maybe if I am feeling so, so industrious. And then trying to decide whether or not I feel like you and me both like over the winter we're like can we can we just sell everything in the spring and buy something shiny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, I can totally relate to that. Yeah, because I totally relate. To I that. went to the dealer the other day and was just looking at stuff. I was like, oh, so shiny, so shiny. But uh, my local dealer, um, Englehart here in Madison's got uh, a lightly used low miles with uh, bags, the same bags that are on. Uh, Margaret's um, street triple, the bags connection. It was just a little bar that comes out. Yeah, that's a cool setup. So it comes with those and FZ1 um, for, you know, not too much. You know, those are expandable. They're quite expandable. Yeah, yeah. I, I they do the job. Um, and then they also have an F800ST, the um, the earlier generation of the BMW, uh, the twin with the belt drive and um, with bags and not too much. Do you know if that one has that bearing issue at all or anything like that? As far as I know, there aren't any major issues. I've heard a couple of guys had fueling issues with those, um, but I'd have to ride it anyway before I bought anything. Double check it. But yeah, so that's been my month, just pining and waiting for the snow to melt. Actually, it's been I've been uh, debating taking the DRZ out this winter because um, the roads are pretty clear. Um, and there's another guy, Jeff, here in Madison, who rides all winter, and he knows a guy in Cleveland that'll do DOT knobbies with DOT studs in them. Nice. And that's what he's got for. He has uh, two uh, BMW S650 Dakars. And so. so those are like street legal studs. With, where studs are street legal, yeah. But they're like the they're not the big gnarly like ice racing off road studs that look like bolt heads. They're like the the little the little DOT studs. So when you when you ride on the pavement, they sink into the rubber and they they don't like wear in. Uh, they don't wear off real fast. Um, and then when you hit the ice, they, they, they grab. So they're not, uh, um, you know, cause basically his, his thing is like, no one's going to like, even if you can't have studs where you live on a, on your car, if you're on a motorcycle and it's winter, no one's going to care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So that's, that's been my month. Um, you know, but, uh, we can take a look here. What are some of the updated, uh, site features and developments on the ridingobsession.com you've been working on, Robin? Hey, well, <clears throat> Uh, my wife, Mrs. Dean, Ms. Margaret Dean, writer of the Street Triple R six seven five. She just posted our year end review for twenty sixteen, and despite my and many negative outcomes that we've seen in the world of celebrities this year, all in all, it was a fun year in motorcycling. I, like I said, I covered fifteen thousand miles total this year and met a lot of new friends along the way, which is what amounted to my almost fifty thousand miles on the bike. 
Uh, I'm in the process of building a guided motorcycle tour engine for the site, whereby I and a select group of experienced motorcyclists will be able to lead prepaid vacation-type motorcycle getaways. A bonus to this is I have no problem with third-party uh, contributions, like um, non-riding obsession guides posting their guided tours on the site, although it'll be for a fee, because that's what we're out to do, is make a little, a little bit of bank here and there. And of course, there's the constant creation and remedy of code bugs in the site, which in the long run, it's all making it more solid and reliable. We have a new cache system, so the site's loading a lot faster. The weather page has been updated. Um, you know, this is the sort of on and off downtime for the site where if you go to the site and it doesn't look right, well, we're probably working on it. Nerd. Yep. Yep. Code geek. Code monkey here. And uh, from with that, I'm going to move on to a new feature. we got a new podcast format. That's what I'm really excited about. It, uh, and we're even editing it as we go through it, as you're listening. One of those things is guest interviews. And this month's interview features Rich Scheidleck. He's a land speed record aficionado who spent countless hours building a dry lake ready Suzuki. How's it going? I'm recording and everything. What? I'm recording and everything. <laughs> in typical fashion, I Not, uh, brought you something to work on for oh, me. Oh, okay. If you're oh, straighten that out, huh? Good to see you. How you been? I'm good. I'm you good. Look like you've been outside. So, what's going on? You're my very first interesting person that, like, we changed up the whole format for the podcast. Okay. So this is this for me is like exciting too. Oh, okay. That's fine. Hopefully, I can make it interesting a little bit. I mean, I don't. So, what are you working on, like today in specific? Um, today, I, I'm I'm trying to get some of the loose ends on this. Uh, this was going to be a mile bike. That's the mile and a half. I mean, that's the Bonneville bike. Okay. Okay. Um, basically, there's Suzuki GS chassis. Uh, this one has been braced. Uh, made a new steering neck. It's got a lot more rake in it than a stock bike. Yeah. Okay, and I, I braced it. Uh, here and um, this is just a dummy motor in it for right now. It's got a Hayabusa swing arm. Mm -hmm. These are rear sets for you know, kind of laying stretched out, yeah, riding the bike and that. But uh, this will basically run either a 1327 or I got a, uh, a, fit, a 1640 kit. 1640 should easily get me 225 to 250 horse, you know. So and that's what I want to put in here because it's is that the gear ratio. No, it's 1640. Yeah, I don't it's know. a displacement CCs. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. it's like 14 and one pistons and yeah, uh, just a you know, so. pure explosion machine. Yeah, just yeah. Pour gas on an open fire and watch it go. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, these are uh, I went with uh, Hayabusa front forks. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, they're inverted. That's nice. Yeah, yeah, and um, I've got a uh, the blue uh, front fender there. See that first blue part? Yeah. Blue oh, it's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's like a streamlined fender. There's certain rules. Uh, you can't cover the complete. Uh, that's the blue I want to go with. Uh, it's like sky blue. Yeah. yeah. It fits in here. That is gorgeous. Okay. And then um, with the fairing and that, because uh, of the class I want to run and all that, you know. Yeah. So, and this is really only have about an inch, inch and a quarter of suspension travel, and it'll be low, you know. Yeah. So. Uh, you're not really, you're not going off-roading. Yeah. Um, the the fuel tank, uh, I mean, it's not going to be like typically drag bikes have the fuel a backbone up here and that, but uh, I'll just have a smaller tank in in, in the back here. You know? Nice. I only run like a, a gallon. Of fuel. Yeah, I was going to say, how much gas do you carry? Not just a lot. To, just know, enough. I mean, enough for yeah. Yeah, less. I can never make two passes at uh, 
you know, that's 12 miles, so I, I should be able to get six miles. Per, I mean, uh, uh, you know, that kind of 12 miles per gallon, no? Yeah. <laughs> so. Cool. Yeah, I was going to say, just enough to coast across the line. Yeah. Just yeah. barely make the finish, but at speed. Yeah. Well, let me yeah. bust out yeah. my magic questions, and then, I mean, that's... that's yeah, let's go over here and... Uh, well, first question, when did you first become interested in motorcycling? Just generally interested in motorcycling? Um, probably when I was, I'll go call it two-wheel, two-wheeling, okay? Uh-huh. When I was eight years old in Chicago, my buddy and I, we lived on the northwest side, and uh, between the two of us, uh, we bought a mini bike. Don't ask me how we got the money, but we, <laughs> but it was only like $20, you know, so. How many CCs? Yeah. Uh, it was uh, age 51, so I, I think it was uh, less than 100 cc. I want to say it's either a 51 or 75 cc it was like three and a half horsepower you know yeah, yeah. and and uh that's what we used to go up and down the alleys with i mean it was a it was a bitch to get it running i mean it was a two-stroke motor you know <laughs> but once it got running though it, it ran good you yeah, know but it was uh, cooked up but uh we take turns and we'd go you know each guy got like 15 minutes and basically we stayed in the alleys in chicago so you had a block long mm -hmm. and then you had to watch the side streets and shoot across <laughs> you know and uh so that was uh that was my first uh two-wheel uh, endeavor, so to speak. Um, Sounds like that would be an introduction to your first yeah. sense of linear, linear riding. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, that first winter day we had the bike, I took the motor apart, and I read somewhere, uh, I think it was in Hot Rod, or one of the, must, maybe it was a bike magazine, something about porting the exhaust ports to change the timing on a, on a two-stroke. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I took the, the the cylinder off, and I'm, I'm filing the, it was like a round port, you make it like a house-shaped port, you know, and that makes it Give it a little more horsepower, so to speak. And I don't know. To me, eight years old, nine years old, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I'm in there filing these uh, three ports there in this uh, Power Products motor. See, that's a yeah. that's a heck of an early start. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. So then, uh, based on that, that, that's a long while back. How, yeah. how did you transition into land speed riding? Oh, uh, <laughs> there was a there was a pretty gap in 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 between there, but I was I was always interested in. Um, uh, well, put it this way. There was a, uh, there was some kind of a bike gang, Harley, Harley Davidson's, you know, all the bikers are like a block or two over. Mm -hmm. And I would go down, ride my bike or walk over to the alley and I would just wa watch them in the garage. You know, they would be working on the bikes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, they were probably, I was henchmen or something, I don't know. You know <laughs> but they didn't bother me, they were fun, they were cool with nice. me looking in there. And I, I just got really in, in, interested in the, the bike part of it and that. Mm -hmm. But the land speed part of it came when I got older and I was getting these, um, Highlight magazines and stuff, you know. Um, rather than sport magazines, and I was getting highlight magazines, or or my buddy's older brother had them, and I would go to them. And, and, and typically, like the September or the October issue would have the results from Bonneville from August, mm -hmm. you know. So I'd really like the fall issues better, you know, because the cars were more bizarre looking and that. Yeah. And and you didn't see a real lot of bike stuff, but there was some, you know, there were some older guys uh, that were running the bikes, you know, uh, Vescos and stuff like that, you know. Um, so I, so I think that was my initial, you know, and I, and I like drag racing, but I couldn't go to drag races other than uh, my buddy of mine, he, his dad helped uh, set up a, a Pontiac for super stock racing. Yeah. And so they dragged me and my buddy Roger, we were seventh graders, to the drag strip Union Grove, you know. Uh -huh. And I thought that was pretty cool, but it was, it's too short. It's only a quarter mile and all that. <laughs> but just the whole, you know, when you're little. The excitement of being in that environment was kind of cool, you a lot know. Power, a lot of noise. Yeah, yeah, the noise and uh, and then voice coming over by your car or, or you know your bike and looking at it. But uh, yeah, so that so that so I, I think I always had the the motor bug, so to speak, you know. And, nice. and it just so happened that 
the mini bike happened to be the first thing because it was convenient. And looking around, that had to have been some kind of a transition into machining. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, my my, my grandfather, uh, he was in any kind of machine, but my uncle, my uncle, after my grandparents had passed away, my, um, we moved out to uh, the suburbs, Franklin Park, mm-hmm. and my uncle Wally, he was a, a, a bona fide machinist, you know what I mean? He he was the top machinist at the company he worked for in Chicago, you know? Yeah. And he had a lathe in his garage and a drill press and stuff, and, and so uh, basically what he showed me and then what I practice played on my own that's where I got my initial uh, uh, interest in drilling holes and uh, you know uh, turning metal so to speak you know I'm by far not a uh, machinist don't get me wrong I'm more of a hobbyist machini- machinist I can maybe do some stuff better and, that and other stuff you know I mean like anything else you got to know what your limits are and what you're capable well, you can't discount how many times you've helped me out yeah how yeah. many times you fixed my mistakes yeah but that's <laughs> maybe that's uh you know as you get older just experiences yeah. help you then and you think, well, why, why rather than do this, why don't we take it and fix it right? It's yeah. only gonna take another <laughs> yeah. day, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm good with that, you know. So so I think that's where I got my initial bug was just uh tearing my bike apart every winter, painting it, working it with the mini bike. We we're always trying to build a go kart and uh using the bed frames. We cut the rail, you know, the uh, they had like angle iron on the box spring uh-huh. and they weren't enclosed, so we'd cut the the angle iron, but the hardest part, and putting the rear axle, but the hardest part was the steering, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and so we'd get like strollers, you know, like the little baby strollers, <laughs> and try to adapt it, but we could never get it right, you know? And you gotta remember, we were eight, nine years old, 10 years old, and, yeah, that's, that's and like we didn't have really a lot to work with. for such a young age. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, it's just naturally ingenuitive and. Yeah, and just trying to make some work because it would be cool. Yeah. But I didn't get my first go kart until I was. Uh, 40 years old when I started racing go-karts, uh, uh, my bu- my buddy's son got involved with sprint carts. It's like a sit-up cart, you know, which you're familiar with. Uh, he was using a, a, a Yamaha a KT100, you know, but it was a, but there's like a 70 mile an hour go-kart, but there's a sprint cart, but they have more acceleration, okay. but didn't have the top end. Yeah. But the races are over like in a minute and a half, you know, and uh, it's like, well, this is, you know, this is, you know, I want to go longer. You know, so yeah. So and I, I have. I think we we went to a go kart show and I saw an enduro kart, which is a, like a lay down kart. Mm-hmm. And and um, when well, I started investigating that a little bit, and I, it turns out I, I found a chassis for sale, and I went to Blackhawk Farms, and uh, that's where I found the ad for the chassis in the men's bathroom. You know. Oh, nice. And and the guy whose name was Joe Britton, who we were good friends now. We've been friends for like oh, twenty plus years now. You know. Uh, he had a, a chassis for sale, so I bought that. And he said, "Well, I'll show you the ropes. You know, you got to come down to Putnam Park, down in Indy, in, down in Indianapolis. You know." Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was the first race, you know. And and basically, I was kind of sitting on top of the cart because he was about a uh, seven inches smaller than me. And so, <laughs> and looking back in some of the old pictures, uh, I felt like I was just laying on top of four wheels. You know, <laughs> that's what I felt like. But I, I, I didn't look. But I finished my first race. But the races were forty-five minutes, and okay. so you're out there for. Full forty-five minutes. That you know. got you a chance to actually kind of get it out. Yeah, well, yeah. You, you, you know, you stretch your legs and and you know, but just learning to, to drive it was a whole different, especially on your back. You know, it was a <laughs> yeah. whole different experience. You yeah. know, and I was hooked, and I did that for six, seven years. You know, uh, as a, if you okay, I can't. I'm going to do this and this this winter. Just like when I was a little kid, made changes, and then come spring, you know, we go out there and then uh, tweak adjust. Yeah, yeah, and and it was fun. I got my nephew involved with it. Uh, enduro racing. It's it's not enduro like uh, off road. It's it's on. We were, we were using uh, Road America, Groton, Gingerman, Putnam Park. Uh, These are not. I've, I've been to uh, 
VIR in Virginia. These are complicated tracks. Oh yeah, but they're automobile tracks, you know. Yeah. And the nice thing about it, they're wide enough for, for we don't slow down for the turns. I mean, the turns you lose a couple miles per hour, so that's why, consequently, the carts were quicker than probably ninety percent of the cars. Yeah, because, the runoff is still on the track. Yeah, because you yeah you know you're drifting. You're not you're not letting off the, the you're not touching the brake. You know, <laughs> so you might not have you might have a hundred mile top speed. But you're going through that turn at 70 where he's got to slow down to 30. Yeah, no brakes. Even, even, yeah, yeah, even in case with motorcycles, they uh, they slow down pretty much for the turns. You know? Yeah, well, I know Gingerman. Uh, that was my first track day, and mm -hmm. that's that track is not messing around. You know, it's got a lot of hidden hidden gem tricks to you. And it's oh, yeah, well, cool. you know, the first year that track opened, there was no grass holding the sand and dust. So the, con the track was constantly covered with a, a fine layer of dust, particularly Silt. when the wind was coming off the lake, you know? No. And it, talk about a hairy track to drive the first year or two until uh, the grass filled in and they held the, the top soil and sand down, you know? So the gym was interesting, though. Well, okay, somewhere in between there, a lot must have happened. And, and, then, and then things straightened out, so to speak, where you're going, I mean, we'll get to that question in a moment, but, you know, Considering your machining capabilities, um, here you are on a motorcycle going who knows how fast. All these things you have to machine, maintain, wrench on. You know, how long do the motors, the plugs, all the parts, how, do they, how long do they tend to last in land speed racing? Well, I mean, let's start with the, the bike develop of, of the bike. You know, that's, you know, um, typically each organization, there's like three or four different organizations. The rules are kind of similar, you know, they all, and, and the classes are very similar. There might be minor differences, you know. But basically, they, they all try to. So, so you can go. I can go out to the East Coast and run as well as to out to um, El Mirage if I want. Yeah. And and there's, and there's a class for me to run. Okay. Um, so typically, with any race vehicle, whether it's a bike or a go kart or, or a motorcycle or a car, there's uh, the safety thing you got to take care of. The safety wiring. Okay. Um, yes. Mainly, they want you to be able to come back and, and race again next time, and that you know. So, but that's what um, that, that's probably a lot of the build up. It's just making the frame stiff and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm I'm running a modified partially streamlined, so that's why I can cover the front tire with the, this fender. No, that's key right, right Modified partially streamlined. streamlined yeah. yeah, it's it's it can be a, it has to be a stock frame, but it can be beeped up. Mm -hmm. But it's got to be a Suzuki motor, okay? Because okay. I'm running a Suzuki frame, and. Um, I can't and I can't cover anything past the rear axle. I can't have a, I can't have like a, a big tail on the back, because uh, they got a streamline class. Then that's basically your, the total front wheels and and the bike are in like a looks like a teardrop, you know. Yeah. So they and, they don't want you to sculpt wind this behind you. Yeah. You have to yeah. Yeah. You want you want to in, in the streamline. You want to keep the the, the wind attached to your surface and then you want to bring it back together. Mm -hmm. You don't want it to tumble and because that. The, that turbulence will slow you down and so, all that. So they know. sort of limit that a little bit. Uh, yeah, and that's fine. You can run a streamlining class, and and uh, but like example in a car, uh, if you run a Lakester and you put two, you cover the rear, and that's all four wheels open. You cover the rear two tires. You're a streamliner, mm -hmm. and and you're gonna get killed because you're not. I'm not literally because you're, you're gonna be running against full blown. Yeah. High-tech streamliners, you're, you know. So why would you go in the streamline class, you know? <laughs> Just because you got two little uh, fairings on, on top of your rear tires, but that's yeah. what happens. And a bike, it's a little different, you know. It's it's more so for uh, and a bike. It makes a fair amount of difference uh, having uh, some fairings on it. And, uh, helps if you're a little smaller guy too, <laughs> which I'm not. That's but. Uh, that I mean, so that answers, you know, what kind of bike you register and what what speeds are you typically reaching? Um, uh, typically, when you start out with it, you got to you got to do licensing runs, you know. You got to run 125. The guy at the starting line signs your ticket. 
you got to run, run 150. Then you got to run, if you, depending on where you're going, 175. Okay, this is in, for example, a mile. I'm yeah. not talking Bonneville yet, okay? Well, I, but it's the same. It's the same steps, though, okay? Yeah. And so even even though I might qualify in Ohio, and I go to Bonneville, I got to do the whole thing again. So you're basically you're, you're ranking up by uh, top end speed. Yeah, yeah. You need you need acceleration, you know, mm-hmm. and and you only got. Uh, 50 to 180 feet to get there. Okay. Okay. So, that's when they start clocking you. No, that's when they. Yeah. When you we hit the you hit the the mile. Mm-hmm. There's like 132 feet. That that's where they get your speed from. Okay. So you actually have a little more time after the the mile to go. Okay. But so you got to get up there quick. You just can't, you know, nail it. You know, halfway down because you you don't have enough because because gearing is involved with it and all that. And yeah. Uh, my my goal is is to go is to go 200 on the bike. Um, on this one? On, a, on an air-cooled Suzuki bike, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's a little harder with the air-cooled motors because uh, thermodynamically you're limited on how much power will last that long, you know, because yeah. the heat buildup is, you know. But there's bikes, uh, I mean, the, 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 the pro-stock drag bikes and Suzukis are still based on the, the early 80s Suzuki blocks. And, and that's a GS motor, right? Yeah. So, yeah. That, I mean, that's a linear torque curve? Uh, well, ideally it would be linear, yeah. I mean, you, you don't want one that... Rises up and drops fall. You want to, you want to, and that's the key. You wouldn't think that torque is a big deal, but it is, particularly if you're going longer, like a Bonneville. If you're going three, four, or five miles, you need torque to keep you uh, going. Where yeah. horsepower is nice to have, but that's torque is really uh, what it's all about. And the linear, nice linear torque curve is important. And and and, and the torque is all about the right camshafts, uh, the right gearing, um, you know, carburetion tuning. And okay, so th- what what brought you to Suzuki? What made you choose? The uh, How did you end up a Suzuki guy? See, well. I, I was originally Kawasaki. I mean, my first bike, uh, my first real motorcycle was 1975. I was 25 years old, whatever. Um, I bought a champion cycle in, in Hoffman Estates from Tiny. It was a real gem, you know. But, <laughs> but anyway, it was, it was 1976, but it was a 75 mile. It was the last year they made the Z1. And so I bought that bike, and, and that's the only bike I wanted to have, you know. So I, I picked it up in my van. I brought it real living on a farm in Schomburg. I taught myself to ride it on the farm. We had like a gravel driveways and all that mm-hmm. and then uh, a week later I, I put it in the back of the van and i took it down to uh, to uh lombard lombard mm-hmm. to get uh, my license on it and the first thing uh the, the testing guy said well, how'd you get it here <laughs> back of my van he says the back of your van i said yeah and then he looked at the van i had the ramp still out you know i wheeled it out and, I, and back then you just had a, a parking lot behind the building that we had to do you wanted to see how you could handle it slow you know? turn box yeah and yeah stuff like that you know yeah. and so uh passed the test Pushed it back in the van and uh, started riding, you know. So, yeah. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, that's how I got into my first bike, so to speak, you know. But the, but I, but I got in Suzuki's only because I, I, I had a Harley for about three months, and it was a Kickstart only. It was an AMF actually, you know. It was uh, '73 or '74, and I about broke my ankle twice on it. <laughs> I mean, I, I had a knot on the side of my ankle that was the size of a tennis ball. Yeah. You know, and my buddy Mel, uh, he had a, a Suzuki GS. And he's laughing at me because he could get it started, but I couldn't get started. So uh, he says, "Hey, Rich, you wanna you wanna trade bikes?" I said, "What do you mean?" He says, well, "I got this GS. I'll trade it for your your Harley." You know? And I said, "Well, no, there's got to be some money involved." And he says, "Well, buck, okay, okay, a buck. I'll trade you for a buck." No, you know? no, no. Yeah, I had enough with the Harleys. I don't know, <laughs> and I never really was a Harley guy. You know? So I, that was that's how I started out. It was a, it was an uh, '82 GS uh, E, you know, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So the I old, had eleven hundred e or seven fifty e. Eleven hundred e, yeah. Yeah, yeah, eleven hundred. Uh, yeah, I'd like to have a Ducati or one of those, oh. you know, or the BMWs. Yeah, that's nice, but I'm not going to spend twenty five grand for a bike. You yeah, know? I'm not going to that's, the college of NASA to work. Yeah, on yeah, you know, and it's like, I mean, those bikes you can know the ZX four. Fourteen from Kawasaki. I mean, or the H two that they got now. Oh, the H two. You can go two hundred right out of the showroom. You know, yeah. what's the challenge to that, right? Yeah, no, <laughs> build it and build it and, and yeah. uh, take pride in what you I, did. I think with me, I like the fabrication part of it. I like being more intimate with the bike. I know uh, what I have there, and 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 it's a challenge, I guess, to do it. You know, it's just. Uh, this here's a complicated question. I'm not even really sure how to ask this, but. I hope that I can make sense of what I mean by it, and that's, are the multiple riding locations honored collectively in one, like, global scoring system? Um, no, not really, here? yeah. No. Is it track by track? Uh, it's more by organization by organization. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, one org organization might have several different lo locations they run at, yeah. like Southern California Timing Association, they run out of El Mirage, mm -hmm. okay, and they run out of Bonneville, okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, ECTA East Coast Timing Association, but that's only two. That's only two tracks for one yeah, organization. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But uh, they, but they'll have multiple meets uh, at El Mirage up in the Dry Lake. So they'll have three or four meets in the summer, and then Bonneville they'll have um, they have two or three, and then Utah Association, which has the same rules and the same stuff, and they're part of SCTA. They have a race later in the fall, you know. Hmm. Uh, then there's an organization out east that, but they're up in Maine, they're at the far northern tip of the country, you know. And it's like 1,200 miles from here. It's also going to be climactically, or climate-wise, uh, like climate-wise, it's going to be different. So uh, Yeah, yeah, the courses and the time of the year you run and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But but basically it's the same, you know, they got partially streamlined, they got fully streamlined in that. But but typically on the mile courses you'll see more guys show up more guys show up with their bike and it's all been prepped to run on a track to run a mile, you know, because it's, it's a little easier on a... On a motorcycle to uh, uh, to prep it for a mile, as opposed to you know, I mean, just going to Bonneville. We're running the lakes too out there. Just to go to Bonneville, run the car for three days, make maybe two, three passes, and then bring it back. That's seven grand, you know, for a car. Okay, <laughs> and a lot of travel too. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, thirteen, fourteen hundred miles from Chicago, you know, and and they're you know we're pulling a thirty-two foot trailer, you know, and the hotels they normally get sixty and seventy-five bucks for. They're charging you two fifty for them. Just because it's yeah, because you're a racer yeah. and you're not in the gambling hall, pulling that arm, you know. So, so you say we? Do you, you basically team up with some of your friends and you all go? Or? Yeah, we're, we're I'm part of a crew for uh, a double A gas lakes there, and uh, we had a, a record back in '09 for about a day. Uh, we went two seventy-six. We upped the record from two. 260 something to 276. 24 miles shy of 300 miles an hour. Yeah, but but to go 300 miles an hour, it's because uh, with the equipment we have, it's a little dated and all that. Yeah. And now the record, well, the record was brought up that same week to 299. Okay, now it's 314, and he knows to go to go any even to go 300. That's what he. On this class? No, on a, on a, in a lakester now. I'm talking a car. Uh, okay, yeah. Okay, okay yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's just cubic dollars, and it would be the same thing with the bikes. You know, yeah. if I want to go. I don't know that I can go uh, 215, 225 on an air-cooled motor. I, I would be really surprised, you know. But that's kind of the scale. Of, that's the goal. That's, that's yeah, the goal is to go, me the goal is to go 200. Yeah. Uh, the record at, for the Ohio, I think, is about 208, 209, which yeah. is doable. If anybody who knows their stuff hears that, they're going to raise their eyebrows and say, you did that. And they're, they're going to, yeah. that's, that's kind of the, that's the credit. That's, yeah. that's the legitimacy. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't get none for it. If you do get the record, all you get is your name in a rule book and, you know, you get a time slip. That's about it. You so know, in the there's end, no, there's no prizes. In the end, because you, know. you like to do it. Yeah, because you, you, like, you like to do it. Yeah. yeah. You like, 
you know, you're, you're the guy's record who, who's holding it. If, if he thought you needed help or a part for your bike, most cases the guys will give you the parts you need, you know. I mean, they're willing to help you push you off the line if you need to. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to you know like uh, NASCAR and and some of the other racing venues, you can't even get close to the bikes. You know we're here. I mean uh, even at Bonneville, if I get the crew pass, I'm I'm in the you know, even if we're not running a car, I'm in the second I'm behind the second car taking off. You know yeah. I'm 25 feet away from the car. Yeah. You know so where else can you do that? You Competitive know? camaraderie. Yeah yeah and and there's guys there's guys that that's even though they don't race in, they've been coming back year after year after year. Just for the, you know, kind of of it. Not to get into the Burt Monroe oh, topic. Oh, yeah, the fastest Indian, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's like, you know, anybody who's going to hear Lane Speed Motorcycle, they're going to go to that movie. But have you run into any personal personal people you've always wanted to meet? Do you bump into them, or has it ever happened in the past? Um, yeah, a couple of the guys that, like Vesco, I met uh, when he was still alive, down Vesco. I mean, he was a, a big guy into bikes and that, and uh, he, he transitioned over to cars. And I, mean, I think he's gone like 450. I mean, he really knew his stuff, you know, and yeah. and to be able to do it, plus take the risk, you know. That, I mean, there's you know, there's those guys that uh, have accidents and don't make it back home uh, out there because yeah. they're going dangerously fast, you know. So, 400 miles. That was the problem this last summer. Uh, the course, even though we finally had salt this this last summer, two years before we didn't, we couldn't race. This year, the course was there, but but it broke up so fast. The three mile to five mile was dri like driving through three or four inches of snow. The, the salt was. And plus, uh, it was right above the mud. There's mud below the salt, and so and you can hear the guys that had traction control in the, in the high-speed car. You can hear the motors cutting it in and out, in and out, <laughs> just trying to maintain going straight. Yeah, you know? just so, to balance it out. So the bikes weren't even running on the high-speed course, you know, because that's that. I mean, that's why we pulled off. We were in line. There was about five, six cars in front. And Ted pulled out. I don't blame him, you know, yeah. because it, he didn't feel it was safe, you know. But yeah, on that note, 2016. It's been kind of a. It's been a crap year for a lot of things. It's, been, it's actually been good for some things, but yeah, it's been good a for, yeah. Crap, yeah. crap year in a lot of different ways that, that we don't need to go into too deeply. It's no, no. Fame, fame finding its end and uh, track not being what it needs to be for yeah. our own land speed, Rich. And how do I pronounce it? Rich Scheidlick? I don't care how you say it, lungs just smiling when you say it. Yeah. You know, that's what I used to tell him. But that's uh, my friend, Rich Scheidlick, and uh, I wish you an excellent, beautiful 2017 of perfect racing. I can use it. <laughs> and thank you for doing my first interview. All right, cool. All right. And that was the interview with Rich Scheidlick. He, uh, he keeps under the radar pretty well, but if you'd like to find out more about Rich and his activities, just Google Land Speed Rich. One word, that's Land Speed R-I-C-H. You'll see his presence here and there on the web. Yeah, he's also one of those guys that just shows up and fixes stuff. Oh yeah, but he does it right. Yeah. Did you get your um, your helicoiled uh, cam uh, carrier? The next day, he's like, "Just give me that. I'll take it to the machine shop." Goes, you know, it, it, it disappears. Next morning, he's like, "How you doing, buddy? Here you go, kiddo." Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, I'm a 42 year old man. That's all right, little guy. Here you go. You know, just <laughs> the nicest man in the world. Um, Anyhow, now let's let's move on to listener questions. This ought to be good. Yeah, listener James Clark writes in, After installing Volo lights, calibrating and programming them for touring sensitivity, everything works as I like, but after turning the motorcycle off and then restarting, I have to reprogram the Volo lights for touring sensitivity. Have you found that Volo lights always start in default sensitivity? No. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, um, I mean, we both like the, the Volo light product and think it's, it's a great product, but I had, I had some trouble with mine. Um, where they just kind of stopped working. Um, so I, I just ripped them apart and used the housing 
So you put in um, a static set of LEDs. Uh, one's linked up to the brake light, and the other is just static with the tail light. Um, and you give it a blinker, right? Yeah, and then I put a uh, I put a relay in it so the brake light flashes, just you know, like a like a turn signal relay. Yeah, I just that's pretty cool. And like like he's saying, it, it's a great product. It's I can't not promote that kind of safety because the the concept is completely sound. And quite frankly, I don't know that anybody. Maybe somebody thought of this concept before, but I can't say that anybody put it to practice before this guy did. And the the unfortunate truth is that as great as Volo lights are, they do have some downsides. You know, my t- my license plate is on my fender. That's a shaky area, so I have to put it on the the most insensitive, the the least sensitive setting. And even still. Every now and then, the person who's riding behind me will pull up next to me and like, uh, so how? where did you get those strobe lights that are on all the time? Like, they're not supposed to do that. They're just on all the time, the whole time. Yeah, there's definitely some limitations to it. And yeah, and I feel like, um, at least, you know, in my experience, there's some durability questions. Um, I don't know if it was water or vibration, uh, but yeah, mine just stopped working. I could not get them to work. So I, I, like I said, I gutted them and just put static LEDs in there, regular regular LEDs without the, the velocity circuitry. Um, so it might be something, uh, James, if you, um, I don't know if you are under how long you've had them, if you want to reach out to the manufacturer and say, hey, these are doing this and see if they'll uh, replace it under warranty um, or give you a, a possible solution or a replacement part. It's also possible that he's got it wired in in some way that's a little bit wonky. Um, I don't know. And that's not a personal slant. It's mostly just me saying that if you did connect it directly to the battery or anything like that, you know, there's your problem. So I would recheck where it's wired in. Uh, it should be wired into something that is key activated. And other than that, yeah, go ahead and reach out to the manufacturer, Fazail Ali, I believe is his name. And he's he's good people. You know, this was his idea. Good guy. Well done. And uh, I'll say, if you have any questions, we love that. Email your questions and concerns to podcast at theridingobsession.com. Or you can call us at 773-614-6422. That's 773 614 6422 podcast at the Now, on to this week's new Moto Mess brought to this you. This week's new Moto Mess brought to you by the Super Slick Ultra Badass Motorcycle Mega Posse. The Super Slick Ultra Badass Motorcycle Mega Posse. Yeah. The Super Slick Ultra Badass Motorcycle Mega Posse of Incredible Power. It's Super Slick Ultra Badass and it's incredibly powerful, but that's just sort of a side note. All right. So, here's what we got for this this month. The Infento, coolest link. You boasted that. The Infento is is a kit that where you can you you talk about it. Yeah, it's basically um, it's uh, these aluminum truss rods and some wheels and some gears and some belts and some uh, some pulleys and it's sort of a, a an erector set. It's the erector set you always wanted, and it's uh, it's you know for your kids and for you to work with together. It's like the freaking erect erector set you can drive away. Yeah, so it actually makes kid sized you can make a kid sized bicycle or a kid sized scooter or a kid sized sort of push cart um, or a kid sized wagon that they can actually ride and then you can take it apart and turn it into something that's slightly different so you can make a, a kick bicycle or you can make a stand up scooter or you can make a wagon out of the out of the kit and they all bolt together and they all come apart so it's um like a, a large scale erector lego type thing that you can actually ride yeah that thing is neat so all right on to Rotella T6 uh, Rotella T6 fully synthetic motor oil updated their bottle. They just have a sport bottle. It's a faster bottle. Yeah, it's a 100% more blue in every bottle. 
I know that uh, our good friend Ryan Chappelle plasti dipped some of his plastic parts, and I've got some cracks in the cowling on my bandit. All right, the cowling has a couple of marks. Okay, yes, I plant. I could. I could epoxy them, right? I could use some JB weld, but in the end, couldn't I plasti dip that stuff, and it would be like? I don't know if it'd be. I mean, plastic. I don't mean for strength. Thick. I just mean to be like just a jacket. You just want to fill, but you want to fill in the the the. Is it, I mean, is it cracked or is it like gouged? It's cracked. I mean, it's a it's like a hairline crack. Maybe it's just on the exterior. I can't see it on the interior. We looked. Oh, uh, then it might. Uh, the plastic dip might cover it up. I and mean, if it's like if there's like something deep, like you'd need like filler or some sort of binding agent on it. Um, but or what you could do, um, which I did on the cowling on my DRZ, which was split, which was like this weird flexy dirt bike plastic that like you can't glue with anything. Um, as I just I uh, put uh, JB Weld plastic fix putty. Um, and just made a gob, you know, like a glue, uh, chewing gum gob of the, the, the plastic fix putty and stuck it on the backside of it. So like on the interior? Yeah. And then it, it holds the two, the crack pieces together. So that's perfect. That, yeah. that speaks more to my liking. This and, is the kind of thing where it's like, maybe I'll take the bike to a hundred thousand. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, and then you could plastic dip over top of it or whatever. Right. Right. Make it look beautiful. Yeah. Last on the list, Matt Damon, Liam Nielsen, Isle of Man movie. I hope this is not a rumor. I hope this is the real thing because that's a good that's a good duo. And if any movie about motorcycling needs to be made, this could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean Isle of Man. It's you know what what's uh, what's his face? Opie Taylor there made the um, the one about Formula One racing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Rush, great movie. I've seen it. Beautiful yeah, yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Uh, Senna's more of a of a documentary. Rush is a you know a theatrical. Yeah, Ron Ron Howard. There we go. All I can whenever I whenever I think of Ron Howard, all I can remember is Opie Taylor because you know. <laughs> but yeah, the yeah, no, I say yeah, then uh, Rush is about the hunt, the hunt Lauda rivalry. Well, with that, I'm gonna say it's time to say goodbye. Um, again, we're always looking for sponsors for this podcast. Sponsors are given three focus mentions towards the start, the middle, and the end of their designated episode. That's our episode for this round. Tune in next time for more discussion on all things specific to sport touring or universal to motorcycling as a whole. For theridingobsession.com, I'm Robin Dean. I'm Travis Burleson. Safe travels, everyone.